Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome back to the Shackles Are Off podcast. Or welcome, just welcome, if uh, it's the first time that you have listened to this. Uh, we've had Jimmy Nishim on last week, the New Zealand all-rounder star. And, uh, well, he was brilliant. He was absolutely fantastic. And also, Randy Caddick as well, featured in the middle. Lads, <laughs> what a great find he was. <laughs> he st- stole the show, didn't he? So yeah. Character, didn't he? <laughs> In short, he's, um, he's an absolute ledge, isn't he? He's great. Randy. Good old Randy. He was um, he was chatting to me earlier this week actually about doing some work for We Care, the stray dogs charity in Sri Lanka that we actually have raised money for previously, as you'll remember, James. Yes. But, um, he, he's starting to do some work for them whilst he's out there. So he's not only a legend and a funny bloke, but also a great guy that works for a charity. A charity that helps dogs. I mean, like what a nice guy. And um, now an honorary life member of the Barmy Army. Do you reckon he's single? And this is like all one big play. <laughs> what, just like the most <laughs> elaborate, like, sort of glow up ever? <laughs> How do I make myself the most appealing bloke ever? <laughs> oh, dear. Love it. He was great. And also, if you are listening to this podcast and you're wondering what the heck are they on about, just listen back to the last pod. It will become very clear on there. Uh, this week, we've got Wazim Khan on the podcast, who is the chief executive of the Pakistan Cricket Board which is some job, by the way, some mm. job in a nation that is as cricket sort of hungry as any other, really. Um, that's a serious task. And also, he had a great sort of sort of career as well. You know, he's a very well-respected bloke. And Brooksy, you know, amongst the sort of professional cricketing fraternity, he's um, he's thought of quite highly of, isn't he? Oh, yeah, massively. I've only met him in passing a couple of times, but it's one of the biggest jobs in world cricket, isn't it? Mm. If I up in the echelons of... Pakistan cricket or politics, then you're going to have a lot on your plate, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. 
and he's done amazing really if you look at what since he's come in and what he's been a part of and especially this summer getting Pakistan, helping to get Pakistan over the ECB and um, having that amazing series this summer and then being involved with I think it's Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, Zimbabwe have all toured Pakistan and played test cricket or international cricket over there. South yeah. Africa and England have booked him for next year, aren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. Some big, and now Pakistan are actually a, a team on the up in terms of ability and some of their young talent. Um, so he, um, yeah, he's he's going to oversee some big things with Pakistan over the next couple of years. Yeah. yeah. He's also um, he's also obviously a, a very um, well respected. CEO in, in the world of, of, of CEOs, really. So he's been at Chance to Shine. He's been at Leicestershire. Um, he, he's also been at Warwickshire for a short while. And then um, now, most recently, the PCB, but also the ECB. So for a, for a young fella in that world, he's, he's doing a, a lot of good. So I don't think it'll be too long before we see him in a quite a senior role within our own cricketing body, but that's just my prediction in the future. Is it? Out. Right, okay. Nailing your colours to the mast. I like that. I like that a lot. Absolutely. No, uh, and what a what a great bloke as well for coming on our podcast. Yeah. He's obviously got so much on his plate. It, as you will hear, the second most important job in the country after the Prime Minister, and he's made time on a Friday night to come on and spend 40 minutes with, with us three. So he's, he's either... Um, a little bit mad or, or a really good bloke. Yeah, I think... I, I, know, I know we like to have a bit of fun on here, but this could be um, really interesting and insightful to get a little bit of info on the background of Pakistan cricket at the minute as well, behind the scenes, what goes on. It's yeah. going to be tricky, isn't it? Has Brookshire fell for the mistake that I fell for, Greggy? Are we, are we now sticking with the fact that we are honest about recording? After- <laughs> <laughs> I was keeping very stumped. I was, I was actually confused myself. I was thinking, where are we with this? I don't even know. Oh, my word. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. Um, also, uh, let's talk about Barmy Army Beer before we talk about correspondence. We're going to be doing a big push. We want people to sort of make us laugh. You good lot, mm. you listeners, but you don't really get in touch with us. Um, but yeah, before we do that, talk Barmy Army beer. Um, we've had a delivery, you and I, Brooksy, and uh, well, I know you're you're off the drink, aren't you, at the moment? Because you're obviously sort of pre-season um, and all I'm, that. I've, I'm back on it now because I had a good appointment with a surgeon this week. Oh, so I'm out good. of the boot, um, limited time on crutches. I'm basically walking and driving again. So oh, brilliant. I'm, I'm on the comeback trail. So um, had a celebratory couple of drinks with the missus the other night. Went out for dinner and. Uh, I'll probably have a couple tomorrow night as well. But then I'm on a holiday just before Christmas, so I'll definitely be drinking there as well. Fair enough. And your beer will have arrived by then, I promise you. It's, it's just held up held up a little bit. It was such a big package. Um, <laughs> no, but it, the, the balmy beer, Greg, it's going down really well. There's a lager, there's an ale, and you can get Prosecco as well. So make sure that at Christmas you've got your balmy beer on your table, your Prosecco. Send us a picture. Tag us on social media. We're on all the usual social media platforms. If not, info at balmyarmy.com. And, um, and if we see a really good picture, we'll mention you on the pod. We'll give you a shout out and we might even send you some more free beer. So just on on um, on the Barmy Army social media platforms, you can find the beer is advertised and it's we're actually partnered with Little Nesters Brewing. So you can buy it on their website. Um, Barmy Ale, Barmy Lager, Barmy Prosecco. What more could you want for Christmas? <laughs> I like that. Good plug. Also, we had a bit of correspondence, Chris, didn't we? Um, was it Phil Reynard or something? Have you got the message up there to read out for us? I have, yes. He said, hi, lads. Absolutely loving the podcast, fellas. They've really helped me get through the two lockdowns and I'm always looking forward to the next one. I would love to hear one with Freddie Flintoff. We would too. Andrew Strauss, stay tuned. Joss Butler, always on a plane. 
And Stokes, we'd love him on as well. But he's like the world world boss, isn't he? Yeah. So we'll get him on one day. Um, Merry Christmas and keep up the amazing work. Thank you, Phil. And we hope to see you on a Barmy Army tour um, in Australia very soon. And I'm hoping that that will be next Christmas where we will be there and we will have a pint of Barmy Army Ale in Australia. Absolutely. Thank you very much for getting in touch. And it's info at barmyarmy.com is probably the best way to get in touch or you can just sort of send us a message on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. All three of us lot. And we will read it out. And also, Chris, um, you're doing a bit of a giveaway we've just sort of come up with this on the spot we'll be honest in our little post uh, podcast production meeting but chris let's 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 sort of tell the listeners what they can win with a bit of an amusing story sure yeah so finals day two tickets to finals day in the barmy army section next summer we're hoping it'll be a full sellout edge baston and as good as they always are these finals days and um, we're going to give two tickets away um, from the Barmy Army allocation to the funniest story that we get submitted from the listeners of the podcast. So please email them to info at barmyarmy.com or put them on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. However you want to do it, we want to hear your story and we will we will get, get all the stories in. Well, then we'll decide the funniest, read it out on air and give the tickets away. Two tickets to finals day. That is awesome. And especially as it'll be the first one for like two years as well when it happens. It'll be off you the played him charts. One, um, no, uh, I've been to two, I think, as um, as a non-used member of the squad. So basically just there to have On a bit of Yeah, so I did it with North Ants 2009, sat in the stands watching, I think we lost in the first semi, so it was a long day. Um, <laughs> and then Yorkshire got there in... I don't know when it was now. It was when North Ants won it for the second time, like 2015, 16. Right, yeah. When Yorkshire lost to Durham. Um, again, another good old day, but not much to celebrate at the end of it. But it's a great day out, isn't it? And the atmosphere is cracking. Yeah. It's a belter. Absolute yeah. belter. So get those in. Info at barmyarmy.com, your funnest cricketing story and uh, one that makes us laugh the most. And we'll read them out on the pod here, of course, as well. Right, that's enough from us, I think. Um, we've uh, Thanks for getting in touch. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for telling all your pals about it. And uh, we're going to get into it now here on the Shackles Rock podcast with the chief executive of the Pakistan Cricket Board, Wazim Khan. NBA. Talk about you first of all, then, Waz, if that's all right. You never really talk about you. It's usually when you're talking to the media, you're usually talking about something else, and I kind of like that. But we ask all our guests the same question, and we ask them, How did you get into cricket? But for you, it's slightly more pertinent how you got into cricket than it is for some of our other guests who go the traditional route. So tell us about what, you know, sort of inspired you to get into the game of cricket. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I grew up in inner city Birmingham, and um, I was very lucky. I got spotted in a playground by a teacher uh, who I was sort of practicing at a, during a break time. He kind of came down and said, where, where have you learned your cricket? And I said, just watching it on TV, sir. So he said, he said, uh, I'd like to send you to, for, for trials in Warwickshire under 13s. He said, have you heard of Warwickshire? I said, no, sir, I haven't. So he said, right, be here at four o'clock on Thursday. Do you have any whites? I said, no. 
So literally, he got me some whites. It's uh, it was sort of winter net. So uh, he took me down down to Edgbaston for for sort of trials at under 13s level, and then I worked my way up. I was under 13s captain, and then worked my way up through all the age groups. Um, played England in 19s. I got offered a contract at the age of 19 at Warwickshire. Uh, I think that season I scored around about 1700s across all cricket that I played. Wow. Uh, Warwickshire second 11, uh, 400s in five innings for the Warwickshire under 19s as well uh, out of five innings. And then, yeah, just it was just one of those golden years. And uh, I got taken on the staff at the age of 19. Uh, I was the first British born Pakistani to play professional cricket in England. This was back oh. in 1990, so that was a long way back. And then I was very fortunate. I was at, at the club for, for seven years, uh, played in the double-winning side in 95. Uh, we won the NatWest and the championship. Um, had the fortune of opening with Nick Knight for the, for the season, averaged uh, 49 during our championship-winning season. And, um, yeah, so I had seven good years, and then I had three years at, at Sussex. Um, and then I ended, ended up at the Knackers yard at Derbyshire for a season before I chatted him. <laughs> so, you know, you know, when you were sort of going up and you said the first British born <clears throat> Pakistani to play, uh, you know, professional yeah. cricket, w- did, were you aware of that? You know, when, and you're going through the age groups, because surely you're looking around and you, you, that's, yeah. that's, it's quite obvious, but I'm, I'm guessing that you were just not really that aware of that at the time. No, definitely not. I was the only state school boy, actually, in, in the wow. under-13 squad at the time. So there was about 13 lads, wow. and I was the only only state school boy within it. Um, and I remember I remember going through the big gates at Edgbaston, and because I'd kind of had a sheltered life at inner-city Birmingham with my mates and stuff, uh, I, I remember the inferiority complex going through those gates and, um, you know, dads and mums taking out, you know, kit bags at the back of the Range Rovers for kids and for their, for their sons. And I, after my first week, after my teacher took me, he said, right, part of your education, he said, is to get the bus from next week. And so I worked out my bus route. There were three buses I needed to get to get to quarter, by quarter to five to Edgbaston. And so it was, um, it was a quite a massive learning curve for me. And, you know, Brooksy will know and others that, you know, when you, you play the game, you, you, you learn so much and it's such a big education as much as anything else for yourself. And, and it really helped me to, to sort of grow as a person and, um, you know, and you kind of play and I wasn't aware that, you know, when I got to 19, that this was a, a, a statistic, if you like, you just, you got a bat and ball in your hand. You just, you know, you, you're around every, you know, with everyone else. And I think that, you know, cricket, like most sports, you know, you don't look at any sort of, you know, gender divides. You don't look at ethnic, ethnic divides. You're there as a team and you're playing together and you're playing sport. And that's a beauty of sport. It kind of brings everyone together, doesn't it? And, um, and that's exactly what it did for me. So I never, I never felt once I got to 19 and became a pro cricketer, that I was any different to anybody else. You just get accepted and you just get on with it with your teammates. Yeah. yeah. I can't obviously relate to being a British Muslim, but I can relate to being a state school kid who yeah. came in a bit later than most. But you still came in at a sort of good age, didn't you? But where do you think it held you back and where do you think it helped you? Um, I, I kind of came, I came in at sort of like 13. I hadn't played any cricket to the age of 13. And then... I remember feeling more sort of, um, I wasn't quite sure whether I belonged coming through the age groups. It was, it was quite odd sort of coming through that sort of period of time. And, you know, it's more sort of your own inner beliefs that probably hold you back a little bit and your own inferiorities. You may be looking for things that perhaps aren't there and you're a bit more sensitive to things that are said around you and you try harder to fit in. And I found that, um, that, you know, I was always trying quite hard to fit in. 
Um, and, and it was more sort of self-imposed rather than other people imposing it on me and saying, you know, you, why are you not doing this and with the lads or whatever. So I mixed in with, with everybody. And I thought, um, even at that age that, you know, I needed to give something as well to the environment rather than expecting the environment to change for me. Uh, and that's something that I keep trying to educate young Asian lads on is that, look guys, if you go to a cricket club, they say, you know, which cricket club can I go to? That's not racist. And I said, every cricket club. You know, I said, every cricket club is open to you. You'll get the odd people there. But I said, you know, you've got to give a little bit as well. It can't just be all one way. Um, you know, and I think that's the biggest thing that I learned was that in order to, you know, you need to adapt as much as possible as well to the environment you're going into. Uh, you can't expect the sort of the, the mountain to come to you. You've got to give a little bit back as well. Have you used that in later life as well then into more into the boardroom aspect as well? Yeah, I d definitely. I, I've, I learned about the politics particularly around leadership. You know, I always say that leadership should come with a government health warning. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think people have always got this, uh, you know, great thing, you know, suddenly here I am, you know, serving a nation of 220 million passionate people. Uh, and, you know, you, you're on the streets and you get stops everywhere. And you think, well, I'm only an administrator. But they, yeah. because it's such a big thing, you know, people keep saying after the prime minister, you've got the most important job in the country. And wow. it kind of dawns on you a little bit you know, the, how, big it, how big it is and, and how much it means to, um, to, to, to people here. And it's, you know, it's, it's enormous. It's huge stress and pressure every day, but uh, you kind of learn to deal with it and you learn to cope with it. Um, you know, when, when a team lose, then it's the CEO's fault. Um, <laughs> yeah. And when we're, when, we're winning, when we're winning, well, that's, you know, nothing to players do with the amazing. CEO, is it? Yeah. yeah. The coach is great and the players are brilliant. So, uh, <laughs> So yeah, so there's different pressures. Work that one out. That's still, yeah, bizarre. I don't, I don't get all that. Anyway, <laughs> look, you played 58 first-class matches, 500s, a county champo, a NatWest trophy. You sort of had like a little flash of pride in your eyes there, Waz. You know, when you were talking about that. And that's great. And That's your previous kind of career. But you must be really proud to look back on that because that's, you know, that's more success than sort of 99% of people who sort of enter professional cricket have, isn't it, really? Yeah, I had a bit of an odd one. I mean, I, I was a pro cricketer for the long, for a long time, but I only played 58 matches, Yeah, you know? And so, but but for me, just the, those memories of sort of my first first-class 100 was an 181 against Hampshire. And, you know, you know, you look back on some great moments that you had and you always remember them, but uh, cricket definitely, although it kind of seems a long time ago, because I finished in 2000, um, you know, it, it absolutely gave me the platform for life. And, you know, I, I went on and, and ran Chance to Shine, um, you know, which was an amazing thing. It was, you know, it was almost a chance to shine graduate before it started because it was all about getting cricket into state schools, yeah. trying to get kids moving forward with their, with their lives, whether it's through education or through cricket. And so, um, you know, for me, it was, um, you know, cricket gave me a great platform for, for lots of great things. After, after I've playing, gave me a lot of self-confidence and self-belief. But, yeah, I mean, there were great days at Warwickshire. You know, we had Lara in 94, we had Donald over a number of years and Sean Pollock in 96. So it was a golden era in the 90s to be at a club like Warwickshire and to be surrounded by so many amazing, amazing players and, and people. Oh my During that golden era, was I've, I've had a, a little inside scoop off. Andy Thompson, our, our membership guy at the bottom, <laughs> yeah, I've yeah, got to yeah. name check him as your, your yeah, good yeah, friend. Of course. From yep. Warwickshire. And he's told me a story that we must hear about some cornflakes. Oh yeah, that was a great story. So one year in 90, I think it was 1993 when Bob Woolmer was our, was our head coach and we went out to South Africa on a pre-season and I, I used to share a room with a guy called Michael Bell 
Mickey Bell, who was a left-arm seam bowler, played for Surrey and Warwickshire. And one day, the, the sort of coach knocked on our door and he said, look, we used to have these apartments in uh, Cape Town. And he said, look, we've got a, a young guy here. You know, we'd like you to look after him. And, you know, he's a skinny little runt of a bloke. And he came in and he sort of sat very polite, very didn't say a lot. He said, right, you boys need to look after him, but make sure you don't lead him astray and take him out at nighttime and all that. We stay there and every evening would say, look, do you want to come out with us? And he'd say, no, 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 I'll just stay in the room. So we come back after we'd been out on a night out and he'd, we, you know, he'd eaten all the cereal, the toast was sort of, he'd eaten five, five slices of toast and we're kind of <laughs> sitting there going, mate, you know, we've got to, you know, we've got to eat in the morning. We've got a full day of training. You know, you, you've got to start pitching in a little bit. So anyway, we had a bit of a go with this guy and, and this sort of went on for about two or three weeks. He never said anything back. So we said to, we had to complain to Bob Woolman. We said, look, this guy, you know, coach, you've put him in. You know, you know, it's not that we're earning a huge amount of money, but all our food's gone, chocolate's gone, and he's not even contributing. And we said, you know, you better turn out to be a bloody decent player, whoever this kid is. He turned out to be Jack Callis, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so he saw me about, when did he see me? About 10 years ago. And we were kind of having a laugh. He said, do you remember when you had to go at me for eating your cereal? I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, but I said, it made you the man, it made you the man who you are today. Because I said, you know, made you a bit tougher and resilient, but... Just showed, but I mean, he went on and had an amazing career, didn't he? But, mm. uh, yeah, it was a funny, funny story anyway. So <laughs> oh dear, I love all that. Um, also, I mean, also, if we're talking uh, British-born Pakistani players as well, I mean, there's Moen Ali, Aftab Habib, Kabir Ali, a whole host of other names as well. Um, Usman yeah. Afzal. You kind of paved the way for, for them, but it's not really enough, is it? And I know the ECB, and you were involved in this, I'm guessing, with the Southeast Asian sort of pathway, yeah. wasn't it? What, what's what's stopping people? Because it's a question that, you know, Chris and I, and, and you know, we, we play in these leagues, in Sheffield yeah, yeah. and in Leeds, yeah. and there's loads, you know, recreationally, there's loads and loads of Southeast Asian sort of recreational cricketers. Yeah. So what's what what is it was he? You Very know, good ones as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Some brilliant players, you know. Greg, Greg, even from a young age, um, I was never a fan of these divided leagues. You know, even mm. growing up in Birmingham, there's a Birmingham league and stuff, and I, I never felt that it actually was hitting the nail on the head. And and I think particularly cricket boards and counties always felt they had to support, you know, these West Indian leagues or the Asian leagues being set up. And and actually, the fundamental issue was around integration. And, you know, at what stage were these barriers going to be broken down? Um, and, you know, rather than trying to encourage to, to go into mainstream clubs and integrate yourself, because, again, I look at my own education, going into an all-white club on, on a Saturday to play my cricket in the Birmingham League, it was a huge education for me, you know, and, and, and I learned about, you know, various things and different cultures and everything else. And whilst at times it's quite nice to play with your mates and have these Asian leagues set up, it always concerned me even back in the 90s or late 80s that I just wasn't sure whether it was it was going to help with ultimately what we wanted to do. And that was that sport brings people together and cricket does. And, you know, you had, you had lots of pockets of South Asians living across Birmingham and different parts of Yorkshire and different places around the country. And, you know, and, and you know, in years to, after that, you started to see some of the issues developing. Um, and problems developing. So whilst it was good on one hand that the ECB and others supported it, uh, on the other hand, I'm not sure back in the 80s when it was really starting to come through whether it did a lot of service for the fact that we wanted to try and integrate people into mainstream cricket in the country. 
Um, so it was always a tough one because I guess people would argue, well, you know, if we want to play with our mates and our, our South Asian mates, then we should be allowed to do that, which is great. But I always felt there was always pressure on the system that, you know, the system always had to be seen to be supporting it. If you didn't, then, you know, there, there was some prejudice or whatever. But I, I do believe still, guys, that, you know, that, that there is unconscious bias that exists. I think that coaches in particular, I don't think ever set out or clubs ever set out to, you know, say that we're, we're racist or we're, we're prejudiced against certain kinds or certain colours or creeds. I think there's just an innate thing that if you've grown up with your own people, that sometimes welcoming others, understanding cultures of others, perhaps isn't something that naturally comes to you. And then you start to develop views about people and, you know, difference. There's a point of difference rather than saying, okay, there's a point of difference. It starts to become an obstacle or an issue. And I think it works the other way as well. Um, definitely works yeah. the other way because I, yeah. I saw a lot of racism towards white people and, and, and African Caribbean people, you know, within Asian communities and, 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 you know, subconscious views that people had about them. So it certainly doesn't exist on one side. It always exists on two sides. And hence why I always say that the more we can get kids into mainstream clubs and get a mixing with different cultures, different backgrounds and, and whatnot, I think, it can only be a good thing for not only cricket, but also for society as well. It's strange, isn't it? You know, when cricket is such a diverse sport globally, and when we've yeah. been on tour, you can, it's like, a, you know, it's like a universal language, Chris, isn't it? You sit in the back of a tuk-tuk yeah. in Sri Lanka and you're whizzing along and they're asking you about England's wicket-keeping problems or whatever, and you think, what is this? You know, I could, and from, <laughs> from a Barmy Army perspective, Greg, yeah. yeah. we're, we're, um, we've got, a fairly diverse group of supporters and followers and it normally surprises people how diverse oh, massively. our, our massively. following is and that's been reported mm. recently but there is still a disparity between how many people are interested in cricket in the UK and how many people actually go to live cricket in the UK and support England or support yeah. their local yeah. teams and there is a, definitely a barrier to supporting as well as playing which we'd love to tackle in years to come but I don't know if that's something that you've seen throughout your time was in, in the um, administrative side of the game or not, as well as playing it as supporting as well? Yeah, definitely. Because I was obviously at Leicester for four years as the CEO there at Leicestershire. And it was the same thing. I think people kind of naturally thought with a South Asian CEO that, that you know, the Asian community would just flock to, to the clubs. But I think there was definitely a, a breakdown of trust over a long period of time. And I always said the best way to get people coming through the gates and supporting and let's not forget the business communities who can pump money into county clubs as well that you know is to, is to sort of start to give opportunities for some of their younger players get them on staffs you know there's some some county age group squads might have 50 60 percent of south asians but have only produced one or two asian yeah. lads coming through on their county staffs for over a number of large number of years there's got to be a blockage in the system somewhere so and, until you know the, i think they're embraced more uh, broadly within cricket, a cricket system, I think it's it's harder for people then not to feel a bit sceptical or not want to join certain groups or become members at county clubs uh, because there's a feeling that they only want our money and yet they're not really giving anything back the other way. And I think, yeah. again, there's a huge amount to be done around breaking down those perceptions and the proof's got to be in the pudding, you know, for a percentage of age groups made up of certain ethnicities. If there's a, a, you know, you're not seeing that then come through through that last hurdle, there's got to be something wrong there. There's got to be a blockage somewhere in the system. Mm. I guess the, the big question is what can we do to 
improve yeah. it and get everyone integrating a little bit more and, and being a bit more um I don't know what the right word is but getting people coming from both sides because obviously pakistani and asian communities like play a lot of these uh tape ball leagues as well yeah I've yeah got, yeah um when i played for oxford this year there's a young lad opening the batting for oxfordshire who's um british muslim arguably one of the most talented batters i've seen in mining county's cricket like late 20s yeah and he gets really passionate and excited about playing the tape ball stuff during the week there must be some really really talented cricketers in, in that but why can't um you know sort of um i don't know sort of middle class or white teams or people go and have a crack at that and you know is there any sort of give or take both ways as well yeah um, and it sort of brings everyone together and then you can say right come and, we'll come and play with you on, in the week and you come and play for us on a saturday and stuff and yeah sort of grow it from there i don't really know what we what the sort of goal yeah. I, I think Brooksy, I, th I think there's definitely a will from everybody to try and and i don't think it's been through a lack of effort you know you've seen the south asian strategy you're seeing various things uh being launched all the time to try and close the gap but i think i think you make a really good point on the fact that sending players the other way as well and and trying to get them to understand and see and experience other types of cricket whether it's street cricket or tape ball cricket or something in communities and in the city areas um is a great way of just people just understanding and how developing a bit of compassion for people from other other areas and other communities and how they live and what they stand for and everything else and they actually embrace the difference um, I, I, th I think cricket will get there. I, I don't think it's an easy thing, um, but but it, there's definitely an ongoing education piece, I think, from both sides. I hate pointing the finger to one side because it's a two-way process. And I think until you start looking at yourselves, and this is why I say to our own communities, that you're not going to improve and actually open the doors yourself. So you can't just point the finger one way. It's got to be a two-way thing. And I, I agree with you. I think that's the only way we're going to break, break down the barriers in the years to come. Let's talk about your role, um, Waz, as the you know the chief executive of the Pakistan Cricket Board, a job which you said is second most important to the Prime Minister. In, uh, your... I've been told. I've been told. <laughs> you've been told that. It. You've not said it. All right. Yeah, you've been no, told it. There was, there's, a, there's a guy. There was a guy putting stuff in my supermarket bag, and he said, "You realise?" He said, uh, "After the Prime Minister, you've got the most important job." Oh my I word! Said, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> no thanks, pressure. Thanks. <laughs> Just a bit pressure as well, though, Waz. I, I did at the beginning, mate. Uh, it was really interesting because I had a, quite a lot of media backlash when I first arrived. Really? Because this is really ironic, but I was viewed as an import. Right? <laughs> wow. Seriously, a, a British-born Pakistani coming to England telling us how to run our cricket. Wow. And there was, there was a, a, a section of, of the media. Because the Prime Minister is also, Imran Khan, is also the patron of the cricket board. Yeah. There's certain, it's like in England, right? You have your red, red newspapers, your blues, and yeah. you know, who will support different parties. And there was a couple of TV stations here who were so anti in newspapers, the Prime Minister. Therefore, very anti me because I was the chief exec of an organization that he was a patron of. Um, and it was it was terrible at times. It really was. It was nonstop. There's two cricket talk shows on on TV every single night. That's the level of passion there is. Wow. wow. Whenever there was a press conference, when I was doing a press conference, they'd break all the nine channels and go directly to the press conference in the middle of an afternoon. Oh, the president. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, terrestrial TV would just stop. Now we go live to the uh, National Stadium in Karachi or Lahore um, to the press CEO speaking to the media about the new head coach or, or some, literally it's like that and oh my so word. um it, it was non-stop it was intrusive it was um just you know at times was very personal a lot of character assassinations just 
yeah. lots of stuff being made up all the time. And of course, there's nothing really to protect you here in terms of privacy laws and all that. So you, you kind of yeah. have to take it on the chin. But you learn after a period of time that you just switch off to it. And the more you deliver, the more people turn. So the yeah. fans have firmly moved now into my corner. And whenever these people are having a go, they're saying, well, hang on, let's just look at the facts of what this guy's done. And so I've, I've absolutely caned Netflix. So I don't watch t I don't watch normal TV here. I just watch Netflix at evening times and catch up with various people. And Dave, David Hemp has now joined us our, as our head coach of our women's side. I so Hempy, Hempy spent I spent a bit of time with him and uh, various other stuff. So we just we just relax and you know I, I've just learned not to take things too seriously and stay focused on on what you're doing. My oh. first meet my first meeting, guys. Really good funny story I got to tell you. So the Prime Minister. You know, he's, he's had this vision about trying to move from 16 uh, teams to six in our domestic cricket. So within three weeks of me being in the job, I had to um, go and see him. So we sat there and, you know, this colossal figure walks in, you know, the prime <laughs> Imran Khan, he just think, crikey, wow. sits down, introduced himself, sat back in the chair and he just he was rolling these little religious beads in his hands. And he said, so what do you make of the uh, domestic structure? I said, look, you know, obviously, I know your vision is to go from 16 teams to six. He said, yes. He said, I have a real belief in the Australian structure. He said, I played for New South Wales. He said, it really changed the quality of cricket in Australia. What do you think? And I said, well, to be fair, I said, with 220 million people, maybe 10 teams rather than six would be better if you're reducing from 16. So he goes, tell me why. So sat there and gave him this great thing for about 10 minutes about rationale and you know this da, 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 da. and you just sat there just looking at me and I, I looked at him and I thought I, I don't know what he's thinking here and then at the end of it he, he sort of looked at me and he said we'll go with six <laughs> <laughs> no expression on his face and I said yep I said whatever yeah, sure if you want six we'll, we'll go with six <laughs> well, yeah. yeah he's a god so, over there though isn't he like Imran Khan is god yeah. in Pakistan isn't he he is and you know he keeps tabs so he'll you know, I, you know, a lot of the ex-players, so Wazim Akrams and stuff. So I stay in regular touch with these guys, you know, and they're always talking about, you know, they're getting messages about, you know, performances and, you know, what the hell is going on in the World Cup and, you know, why is he making these decisions and all that? So he finds time amongst everything else to tune in and he'll always have an opinion. Uh, but he doesn't brilliant. interfere, to be honest with you. He kind of lets us get on with it. Um, but he'll have an opinion, of course. And when he, when he talks, you've got to, you've got to listen a bit to him because he's... <laughs> The great Imran Khan. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> On the flip side to what you were saying was about the yeah. character assassinations and, and things like yeah. that. Has it has it been pretty special to be able to bring touring teams back to Pakistan, like like England and South Africa more recently? And Zim yeah, Zim Zimbabwe as well. I mean, I covered that in yeah. my real job, and that was fantastic. What a success that was, you know? Yeah, it was it was superb. I mean, we've delivered. I think we were the only team in a uh, country in the world that actually announced a full domestic schedule during COVID. Uh, we've delivered about 160 matches, domestic and international. I think we've had about two cases of, of COVID being reported, but we've managed to do that. But, yeah, I mean, one, one of the key things was there's two things. One is to try and get the whole of the Pakistan Super League played back in Pakistan. It was always being, it was being played in the UAE because of security concerns. Uh -huh. So bringing that back, um, that we did at the start of this year, was a huge thing for us as well. And then obviously getting test cricket back. We'd had white ball cricket. So we'd had World Series teams coming over. The West Indies had been over previous three years to play white ball, but they'd always got paid to come and play. I was always fascinated that, you know, security concerns kind of disappeared when you kind of said, here's an extra 50 grand for you. 
Yeah. You know, it was uh, yeah. funny, funny, right? So, uh, but by that stage, that's what was happening. And we kind of had play teams coming over. But to get test cricket, no longer play, paying sides to come over is an amazing thing. Um, we've got South Africa, we've just announced, are coming in January as well for two tests, three T20s. New Zealand are coming in October for five T20s and three ODIs. And then obviously England are coming for two, two matches. And then we've got Australia coming for three, three tests, three ODIs, three T20s at the beginning of 22 as well. And then England for a fuller tour later that year. So, you know, it's been, it's been amazing um, to do that. The MCC have been over, which Sangakara captained. He yeah. was obviously part of that fateful tour in 2009 um, in the shootings. And so for him to come back and captain the MCC side was an incredible thing, really. And that's, I think, what probably opened the doors for us with everything else. Yeah, yeah, just a bit. I mean, what about... I mean, look, I know that the England tour is essentially hop in, hop out. But over yeah. here, like, you know, here in the UK, the the media reporting the fact that England were going to Pakistan was was fantastic. And that's great. And that's that's kind of what it's all about for you, isn't it? They've also... Am I right in thinking they've offered you another year, like a bit of a contract extension to your current role? Is that, is, uh, is that right? Offered me a, th- a three-year. So I've fantastic. got... I've, my contract finished at the end of January 22. So I've still got another year and a bit. Um but my family moved back to back to Birmingham. Right. My wife and, t- and two girls, 13 and 11, they just found it hard to settle, even in the schools here. So we made a decision after 10 months that, look, we'll get them back there. At least they're happy. And so I'm, I'm sort of toing and froing. They're toing and froing a bit as well. So that always creates a bit of a challenge. But, I mean, it's I, I love the job, to be honest with you. I do genuinely wake up in the morning and you think, you're crikey, you're, you're kind of, um, you know, 220 million people and you're, it's a passion for the nation, you know, politics and cricket are the only two things that people care about here. And it brings joy or it brings sadness, depending on how the team operates. But, um, you know, it's, it's just a, a magical role. It really is. The people are great here. You know, I'll be made to feel welcomed by the people here and, and I love the job. And so it, it is, it is one of those that really pulls you in uh, as a job. And I know eventually when I do move on, it'll be quite a tough decision to move on because I, I do love doing this job it is it is amazing i mean to go from leicestershire to suddenly running uh, an international cricket board you know it's it's a real privilege and an honor to be honest with you yeah It'd be really exciting for pakistan the next couple of years as well having seen them when they came over this summer that bowling attack's only going to get better with age and with more experience some exciting young fast bowlers and you've obviously got barbar's taking the captaincy on there and i've obviously played with him the last couple of seasons at summer so yeah. fantastic fantastic boat and we've had azar ali as well and yeah really great ambassadors for Pakistan cricket, but also amazing players as well. And Pakistan are only yeah. really, should get better, really, especially if they're playing a lot of cricket at home as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one, one of the things, Brooksy, I wanted to do was try and, try and, in terms of trying to engage some of our past players so they can bring their knowledge and experience back. So, Saklay Mushtaq, who spent three years with England now, is, is head of international player development. Mohammed Youssef um, is our batting coach now in our high-performance centre Eunice Khan is now with, with, with the main team as our batting coach. We've got Wakai Eunice as our head lead bowling coach. Um, you know, he's got a crop of five quickies that he just looks at and he's just says, you know, all five of them bowl at 90 miles an hour. And he said, look, just give me two years with these youngsters. You know, we've got Nassim Shah at the age of 16, 17, Shaheen Afridi. We've got Musa Khan. We've got Hasnain. You know, we have got, we have got some real serious talent. We've got another couple of lads under 19 who, with serious pace who are coming through and um 
you know, it's a hugely exciting time. We've got Haider Ali who came in, got a 50 on debut uh, in the T20 against England in the summer at uh, Old Trafford. Um, you know, we've got two or three other guys who are coming through. We've got Barber, obviously. Um, you know, it's it's a genuinely exciting time with this crop of players. And a lot of these players have come through by chance, actually, rather than by design. It's just incredible. You know, we've changed our whole uh, high-performance system to get good people in, design. You know, David Parsons, who worked for the ECB, is their high-performance yeah. manager. He came in and helped us design our high-performance programs. Um, and we bring psychology support in, nutrition, a lot of stuff that just didn't happen here. And we've just tried to change everything the way that we do to try and get Pakistan, you know, up again in terms of international cricket. We still sit seventh and sixth in ODI and, in, and test cricket, which is, you look at the talent we've got, and we've got to say something's failed us in the system somewhere along the line in terms of where we're at. So our job is really to try and close those gaps in domestic cricket now and try and get these guys ready and prepared and, you know, a lot, about seven or eight of these players will be there now for about 10 years, hopefully, in our international side. Mm. <clears throat> Fabulous. And, and when we do come to tour to um, Pakistan, it's obviously a whistle-stop tour, but what do you think the chances of seeing some Barmy Army representation in Pakistan are? Do you think that might be something we could look to plan in? D definitely. I'd be, I'd be asking the question, you know, why wouldn't you? You know, I think, I think it'd be a great opportunity wherever the World Cup is held, whether it's in India or the UAE, but... I think that you know a historical tour like this, I think, uh, would be would be a great thing, um, you know. And I and I just think that it's making that making that step now for England to do it. You know, there's no deal done. I think a lot of people said, "Oh, you know, was it a reciprocal deal done?" No, I mean the ECB, you know, with Tom Harrison and the guys there, there's always been a huge will to try and help us get international cricket back. And I think that even the fact that it's two internationals with a full, full tour the following year, I think it's, you know, you can't put value on it um, because it just tells everybody that, you know, cricket's now open, international cricket is now open to the world. And that's certainly the message we want to get across to everyone. Yeah. We also want to go, so <laughs> we'll, we'll be there if we can be. Excellent. Brilliant. Brilliant. Excellent. Hey, we've covered a lot of ground. We've gone from Callis's cornflakes, cultural integration, Imran Khan, and now the Barmy Army touring. <laughs> Waz, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It's been uh, it's been really great to chat and great to yeah, great to speak to you. No, it's, look, guys, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. I follow my beloved Birmingham City from here as well, so it's uh, <laughs> away. But two wins in a row, we're climbing up that table. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Love that. Thank you so much, Waz. It's been great to talk, mate. Yeah. Cheers, cheers guys. Thanks cheers, very much. Well. Thanks, <laughs> cheers, boys. Cheers. 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 Take care. Stop, cheers. Stop, bye bye. Podcast Network.